Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you every weekday in under eight minutes. At the time of recording, it is Sunday, January 7th, 2.33 in the afternoon. My name is Josh Molnix. On today's pod, Purdue, UNC, Tennessee all get top 25 wins. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me, Josh, on a night where Zach Eady was the fourth leading scorer for the Purdue Boilermakers. Matt Painter squad, 83-78 over Illinois at Mackey Arena. Simultaneously, times where Braden Smith looked like a first-team All-American, Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith together looked like the best backcourt in the country, and then there were also times where uh, you saw what we've been seeing from Purdue's backcourt for the last 18 months. It was a Purdue game that was at times dominant and at times reminded me why there are plenty of people who don't really care what Purdue's going to do and want to see them make it through the NCAA tournament. It was kind of a perfect summary of Purdue, right? Yeah, play them off the floor in the first half. Looks like this isn't even a contest and then it was never really in the balance, but Illinois certainly got back into the game and made it way more interesting than it should have been. Yeah, a, a very good kind of just overall summary of the confusing thing that is this Purdue team most of the time. I want to start with this, though. So Trey Kaufman-Wren, you mentioned, you know, Zach Eady had foul trouble in the first half, did not have a particularly good game. Keith Smith and Lawyer were only 10 to 25 from the field for 29 points. That's usually a recipe for beating Purdue, except mm-hmm. Trey Kaufman Ren was the best player on the floor in the first half. How many teams have at a bare minimum four, and I would argue at least five because Mason Gillis has done it at times too, different players who can be the best, fo- best player on the floor in any given half. It's a, it's a remarkable thing that I don't think it's talked enough about this team because Zach Eady gets so much attention because he's the best player in the country. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I also I think it's also important to caveat in a game of this magnitude mm-hmm. in a game yeah, of definitely because I mean there are nine players on Kentucky's team that could be the best player on the team against Northern Kentucky, right? But mm-hmm. against Illinois, yeah, I, it's you know a lot of putting together a crazy good regular season. A lot of winning the NCAA tournament is getting is is getting lucky in the games where your best players aren't awesome by somehow having the best player on the floor regardless. And because, you know, Carson Edwards will get you most of the way there and or Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome will get you most of the way there or, you know, insert any star on a team that you'd like to, you know, Jordan Hawkins and Adama Snogo, but then Andre Jackson is the best player on the floor for, you know, chunks of the NCAA tournament Tristan and then Newton. Tristan Newton. Right. Absolutely. And, and right. We'll see. I mean, this is the same group of guys that was there last year, obviously, but Coffin runs a year older. Coffin run probably did, you know, didn't have this in his tank last year. So maybe this is just, maybe this is the year that Purdue has enough guys that can, can kind of pull them through a half, even when their guys 
maybe aren't have whether it's foul trouble or just not making shots you know aren't having the games that they usually that they usually do and maybe that's the difference of them putting together a run this year but it's a good point um and you know i i wasn't before on before friday i would have told you trey coffin run wasn't capable of that so that's right. an interesting <laughs> that's an interesting development but we're not talking about the other guys in the starting lineup here we're talking about guys to come off the bench right right <laughs> because the pieces just fit to be- fit better together well that's hard to say that way in the sense that oh zach he's in foul trouble well let's run some more trey coffin run and some more cable first mm. give a completely different look to illinois and yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. And then Zach Eady came back in the second half and started doing his thing, and Trey Coffin Ren became a complimentary role player again. But right. they, I just firmly believe this is the best version of the Zach Eady iteration of Purdue. That they are a significant significantly relative to the amount of improvement they can have from last season, a significantly mm-hmm. better team this season because of the development of Coffin Ren. You add another piece a perimeter defender, your guards are a year older. They can just survive some of this on the Illinois side. The one thing I wanted to throw out there that we've talked a little bit about, but I kind of summarized it more as you saw them get back into this game again, obviously without Terrence Shannon jr. I know they didn't win, but also there might not be a team in the country that wins that game this year, because that's the best team in the country playing in one of the best home environments in the country. Mm -hmm. The would you agree and we're going to talk about him in a little bit. But the Terrence Shannon and Dalton Connect are kind of on the same level in terms of, right, all-American caliber players. I would probably put Terrence Shannon a half-step above sure. Dalton Connect. But um, but I, I don't have any I, – I don't feel completely – offended by that no yeah which is which is only going to pro- prove my point further that i because i agree with you that if you're it's a 1a 1b maybe kind of tier thing but yeah we'll just say shannon's okay a little bit higher on that hierarchy no problem with that the net loss the impact of losing those players to me losing Terrence shannon on this illinois team has much less of an impact than losing a Galton Connect who's not as good on that Tennessee team. And we're going to talk about this weekend didn't exactly prove it from the Tennessee standpoint, but we talk about how Dalton Connect might be the most important player in the country because of what he unlocks that Tennessee team. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite for Illinois for me. Not that Terrence Shannon isn't a great player, but that you have guys in Domask and Hawkins and Quincy Garrier who can all elevate to fill that void in a way that you can't fill the void if you're Dalton Connect in Tennessee. That's the point about trying to articulate with this Terrence Shannon thing, and you saw it again in this game. Because they are still awfully good without him on the floor. Maybe they can't reach the same heights that they were they could have. We're not going to know, probably. But this is still a top three team in the Big Ten, even without him. You know, the thing that the thing that enables what you're saying is that that Marcus Domask might just be a dude. Like, yeah. like he oh, might yeah. actually be one of the 15 best players in the country. And we did, we just didn't know it Yep. because I mean, we saw the flashes, but we've done this every time that he's had a good game. Yep. Yes. He had 33 against Ford Atlantic. It took him like four games prior to get to 33 points across those four games. Now he's option a on offense. Right. Right. And you know, when he, the, the, the three times this season he's taken 
at least, you know, I'm looking at the Kim Palm split, so don't make me do quick math here. Uh, the three times this season he's taken at least 14 two-point field goal shots, he's scored th- 33 points, 32 points, and 26 points. So maybe he's just maybe he's just that good. And the reality of playing with Terrence Shannon Jr. is that it doesn't matter how good you are. You're not as good as Terrence Shannon Jr. Right. And that's... Because because you're right, I think there was somebody on the Illinois roster to to temper that, and I and we weren't totally aware of that. Now it's become quickly obvious that Domask as the number one option is is not something that Brad Underwood is going to lose sleep over. But it's we it's painfully obvious that there's nobody who's making up for what Dalton Connect does for Tennessee. At the, time, at the same time, at the same time on with Purdue, I'm glad they're up 66 45. Because if yeah. they were up 60 45, they might have found a way to lose the game. Yep. So it's 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 equal. It's the same. It's 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 different, but it's it's still frustratingly close to yep. to the same. I just love to be like I texted somebody early in that game and said, "Dude, Braden Smith is like a first team All American caliber guard," and then they just like. It's like he and Fletcher just like forget how to play basketball for for four minute stretches in the second half. Like it's 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 the same. It's different, but it's it's the same. Um, in the ACC over the weekend as well, number eight UNC, number sixteen Clemson, UNC holding Clemson to just fifty five points on the evening. That is a Clemson team that's ranked top 25 in the country offensively at Kempom. Uh, they dropped to 11 and three UNC boasts now an 11 and three record 65, 55. What say you about this one for the Tar Heels? The biggest thing coming out of this from a UNC perspective for me is two things that go together, but they gave up 21 points in the second half. Mm-hmm. It's not like this was comprehensive from start to finish. They won this game in the second half, and they won it on defense primarily because of what Armando Baycott did. And I know you want Baycott to get more touches, and we can have that discussion another day. What I was thinking about watching this was, though, he's still an, if he's doing this defensively, he is still an awfully impactful player, even if he's not living up to his full offensive potential because R.J. Davis might just be that good that you got to really lean into him because of the numbers he's putting up this season. Now, he had a bad first half, Cormac Ryan said, no worries, kept him in the game. Then things kind of stabilized in the second half. But that was what stood out to me from a North Carolina perspective is if they're doing this defensively with the offensive firepower they have, they are probably the best. I mean, they're certainly right now looking like the best team in the ACC. They're maybe a top five team in the country when they play defense like this. Yeah, you know, it's one of those teams that they've, they've kind of beat up in terms of defense on the bad teams that they've played, the teams that aren't super threatening offensively. You also look and they gave up, you know, over 80 points to Kentucky. I mean, sorry, they gave up 87 points to Kentucky. They gave up 87 points to UConn. They gave up 83 points to Villanova. Those are their three losses. So it's, it's, it's funny because it's the 16th ranked defense at Kimpom. I would never describe it as a top 20 defense in the country. Yeah. 
but they also only gave up 52 to Riverside. They gave up only 69 to Northern Iowa. They only gave up 60 to Charleston Southern. They've, they haven't given up over 70 points since the loss to Kentucky on December 16th. They haven't given up over 60 points since December 20th to Oklahoma. So um, maybe that's just what's happening here uh, is that they're figuring out how to play defense effectively. They've now played three ACC games. They are first in the ACC in defense, first and effective field goal percentage, and and that's despite being last in the conference in turnover percentage. So maybe that's the thing that you'd really like to see over the next couple months increase is, is turning guys over. But if you're going to play, you know, if you're going to defend the three point line, the two point, you know, in, inside the arc and, and do that th- that that kind of thing, then then maybe it's it's something you can you can get around. What are the other impacts of that? PJ Hall fouled out for a second game in a row. Yep, he's got to stay on the floor. Mm-hmm. Clemson is just not the same team without him on the floor. He's had a, a little bit of a rough stretch here. The most important thing coming out of this game, though, I want to touch on this real quickly. If I am a team and I am a big, let me, if I'm a big on a team, a four or a five, and Clemson is on my schedule this season, I have one goal coming into that game. You know what that goal is? Something about getting in Shefflin in foul trouble, something like that. Close. <laughs> You're on the right track. My sole goal is I'm not going to be the person that gets yelled at by my coach for Ian Shefflin making me look bad by playing harder than me. Mm. Because it happens to at least one player, if not two or three, every single game. He had one possession in this game. He got, I, I think, unless I'm getting this confused with multiple possessions, he got an offensive rebound. They missed again, and then he tipped the ball out after diving on the floor to get yet another shot. I absolutely love this guy. I needed to bring it up again. That if That's my goal. I'm not going to be the one <laughs> when you go review the tape who gets yelled at for making for Ian Shefflin making you look bad because he's just playing harder and wants it more than you. Yeah, it's one of those it's one of the, he's one of those guys that you just he, he's just going to he's just going to do it but whatever you're doing in the non-box score categories <laughs> And maybe, and even, I mean, 16 and 11, it's not yeah. like he doesn't show up in the box score. He had 16 points, 11 rebounds, five steals, and four blocks. So I rescind completely my non-box score compliment there. Um, but, but yeah, he is, he is nationally, he is top 100 in effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage. Uh, he's top 50 in offensive rating and offensive rebound percentage. He's top 15 in defensive rebounding percentage. He's top 400 in block percentage. He's top 400 in free throw rate. Um, he's top 400 in the country individually in two point field goal percentage. And he, oh, by the by, he's only taken 14 threes this year, but he's made eight of them and is shooting 57%. Anything else you want? He's honestly one of my favorite players in the country. I love watching him, it's great. PJ Hall will be the one that is a that is you know a first team All ACC guy, and when you look back on a Clemson season, if they remain kind of in the top twenty five all year, maybe make it to the second weekend, that kind of thing, it will be you know PJ Hall will be the first sentence for Brad Brownell's squad this year. But Ian Shefflin is is doing the thing as well. Really oh, fun, yeah. r- really fun player to watch. Last but not least, is is the following two blunt Ole Miss played a real basketball team and got shown the the, the door in said maybe basketball game. Maybe that's slightly disrespectful I suppose to Tennessee. That, and maybe Memphis 
as well. Yes, and there, there is that Memphis win. Yeah. But uh, Tennessee, that, Tennessee 90, Ole Miss 64. This is an Ole Miss team that has impressively remained, you know, just inside the top 100 at Kimpom and just lost their first game of the season. Uh, a 90-64 loss to Tennessee. Um, Tennessee made 11 threes. They shot 47% as a team. Uh, kind of kind of cruised. And then you take a look and you think, man, Mississippi almost really, really, you know, doesn't get a ton of love. And this is one where the metrics were patient and they um it was at least on this particular saturday not uh not a good look for chris beard's team no the questions were valid coming into the game it's what made this so interesting now were they supposed to win this game no no they got out rebounded by 23 they attempted 18 fewer shots tennessee had 19 offensive rebounds and by the way tennessee scored 90 points dalton connect took six shots i know he's in a little bit of a rough patch here and mm-hmm. This game did not help that they need to fix it. But Jonas Adu had 24, so it was all okay. And they mm-hmm. played really good defense, so they didn't need Dalton Connect. But again, they scored 90 in Dalton Connect, who you and I are both on board. Might be the most important player in the country. Didn't even contribute that much, and they didn't need him to. Yeah. Yep. This, this Tennessee team might just be significantly better offensively, even without Dalton Connect. And then you throw him into the equation. But I'm starting to wonder if we oversimplified it by just saying it's about him, because... They're just a really good basketball team that actually has some offensive firepower. I don't know. They scored 65 against Charlton State at home two and a half weeks ago. It's, a, it's always going to happen sometimes. This is all relative to what we were expecting, right? They are scoring I, 70s I, and I, 80s. And, and Ole Miss is the 130th ranked Kempom yeah. team defensively. Like it is still, it is still, there's still the, 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 the foundational. I, I've not overreacted. I disagree. Okay. Everything is different because of Dalton Connect. Everything. Yes. Uh, fundamentally, I agree with that. I'm just wondering to what degree, and I don't know the answer to that yet. Um, I know the degree, uh, the one <laughs> to the 100th degree. The, like you know, I just, I yeah, it's it it all matters now because I mean James Adu had four seven and four in the most recent points. Sometimes sometimes you have a good game. Yeah, I just wanted to recognize it, that they scored 90 points, points without a lot coming games. from Dalton Connect. That's all. Okay. Okay. Um, that's the, I, I suppose I can't, I suppose I can't argue with that, but nothing has changed for Tennessee. Dalton connect is still the reason that they are as yes. good offensively as they were. Yes, for sure. Um, there you go. 90 to 64, not particularly close, right? Not particularly close no. for, for Tennessee over Ole Miss. You got anything else from the weekend you want to touch on? Three things really quickly. One undefeated, on one undefeated team remaining on the men's side. That would be, surprise, surprise, Houston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After James Madison lost, and obviously Ole Miss just lost. The more I watch Houston and Kansas play, the more convinced I become that Houston is the better basketball team. I, I don't care how many games Kansas wins in a row. You look at the box score at halftime and TCU's close at Fog Allen. Why? Oh, I think they had one point, not from those three guys. And they got the controversial flagrant foul that then led to the final basket. Just, I don't care what the record is. I'm not going to be impressed with this Kansas team until they figure out somebody else to score. Uh, Cincinnati, Seton Hall, big winners of the weekend. Cincinnati goes into BYU, talking about these new Big 12 teams. Mm -hmm. 
very, very impressive from Wes Miller's squad. Seton Hall just beats every really good basketball team they play now, apparently. That's just the world we're living in. <laughs> and then finally, remember we were talking about Wake Forest when they played Utah? And it was the marquee game of that day that didn't have a lot of great options. Yep. <laughs> and we were talking about, well, hey, when Damari Monsanto comes back, they might have something. Uh, Steve Forbes can coach. They've won nine in a row without Damari Monsanto, by the way. Five of those wins came over high major opponents. They beat Miami. They're looking like one of the best teams in the ACC. So I wanted to give Wake Forest a shout out because they are on a roll right now and as hot as any team in the country. Uh, I've got responses to a couple of those things. One, looking at the defense column on Houston's Kempom page is laugh out loud funny. <laughs> they are first in efficiency, first in effective field goal percentage, first in turnover rate, fourth in three-point field goal defense, first in two-point field goal defense, fourth in free throw percentage by opponents, which has nothing to do with Houston. Yeah, I was going to say, well, course, they, well, that's what they got to fix, obviously. Of course. Um, first in block percentage, first in steal percentage, first 10th in non-steal turnover percentage. Um, yeah. And nobody ever scores on them without making a pass first. Like there's no isolation success. 355th in the country and assisted field goals made rate. <laughs> 62% of field goals made against Houston are, are assisted. Um, the other thing, funny. the other thing is I'm out on, on, I, I might be out on BYU until they beat another competent basketball team. Yeah, no, that's they, valid. They their last since December 1st, they've played Fresno State, Evansville, Utah, Denver, Georgia State, Bellarmine, Wyoming and Cincinnati. There are two teams inside the top 190 at Kempom on that list, Utah and Cincinnati. They lost to both of them. Yep. This is the question um, coming into the Big 12. Not can you do it every once in a while? Can you play with the best teams in the Mountain West? Can you show up when every single team can beat you no matter where you're playing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And since since they beat NC State on a neutral on November 24th, the answer to that question is no. So yeah. until they do it, I'm out. I don't care how I don't care how high at Kempom they get. I'm out. I think those are the two things I had. What was the third thing you talked about? Wake Forest. Oh, short. Wake Forest, yeah. Uh yeah, and apparently Seton Hall is just the the team that absolutely no one wants to play in the Big East. Yeah. The Big East, that depth is now everyone outside of the Big East would love to play Seton. Yeah. <laughs> But inside the Big East, you don't want to play them. Yeah. They're three and one, and they've already beaten UConn, Providence on the road, and Marquette. Sure. Yeah. The depth um, we weren't sure was there in the Big East is very quickly with Seton Hall's resurgence, with St. John's playing better, with Villanova mm -hmm. at least being dangerous at times. It, it's the depth is getting there. Maybe the top three haven't delivered quite the way we expected, but that's just an awfully good conference. There you go. There you go. Anything else? That was all the things I had. Sure. That's the under eight podcast in 22 minutes. That's kind of how we roll around here. Uh, it is Sunday, January 7th, 2.55 p.m. Thanks so much for being here. We'll be back tomorrow night, Monday, for yet another edition of the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the under eight pod on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. And we will see you tomorrow.